This podcast is brought to you by Most Valuable Podcasts, leading the league in podcasting entertainment. What's up, what's up, everybody? Ricky Whitmer here, along with the one, the only, Brandon Swanee Swanson. Hey, hey, hey. And we are back for another edition of the Primetime Podcast here on Most Valuable Podcast. If you're just joining us for the first time, welcome in. If you're on YouTube, hello. It is great to see your wonderful faces. If you're on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, or Stitcher, thank you guys for the download or the listen today. And Brandon, we got we a jam-packed show today. We got a pretty jam-packed show. We're going to be talking about Malik Zaire and the Texas Longhorns. Could they be the right fit for Zaire? We're going to dive into the 2018 NFL Draft, kind of a little series that we're going with here during the offseason for football. Looking at some prospects today, we're going back to the quarterbacks, looking at Luke Falk. And then we're going to end everything with uh, your favorite team, or one of your favorite teams, I should say, is... Uh, Alabama lost a big commit from the 2018 recruiting class, and we're going to look at that and say, since they're down to two recruits right now, should we be worried about the Crimson Tide for the 2018 recruiting class? But Brandon, we're going to start with Malik Zaire, played for your other favorite team, your Notre Dame Golden Domers, and according to Texas beat writer Anwar Richardson, He says that Malik Zaire has whittled the list down to two programs and that Texas is one of them. The other four schools, or three schools, I should say, that are at least in the running for that other spot, Florida, Wisconsin, and Harvard. So, Brandon, I'm just going to start it off by asking you plain and simple. Is Texas the right fit for Malik Zaire? Texas is the right fit for Zaire based off of the coaching style that Herman has. And I think that that was pretty evident when people asked him, mm-hmm. is Shane Bouchelle your starter? And he said, whoa, 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 I'm not going to be saying anyone's the starter just yet. And then Sam Ellinger uh, was behind him. And, and those were the first two people that we were looking at. And now that you have another guy in the mix with it being Zaire, who has a little bit more of a style um, that Tom Herman wants, mm-hmm. I think that's, that's an intriguing option to me. If I'm Tom Herman, I'm really trying to go and get Malik Zaire. Now, if you're Zaire on the other side, can you fully feel in your final season, in your final collegiate season, do you want to be the starter or do you want to be a guy who is possibly going to be the starter one week, you know, if you struggle, there's a guy behind you. What do you want there? Do you want a healthy competition or do you want to walk into a job that you know you're going to have? If you want to walk into a job that you know you're going to have, mm-hmm. that's where I'm looking. Uh, Wisconsin or Harvard, uh, where I'm not even having Florida in the mix um, due to some SEC regulations and things mm-hmm. like that. But Texas, I think if you want the best job, and play for the best coach, I'm going to Texas, or I want to be in Texas. Mm -hmm. Well, and to me, I actually think that besides Wisconsin and Harvard, because obviously those are the two that if he even went there, it would be, boom, Zaire automatic starter, just because of where those programs are at. But I think he could come into Texas, and I'm going to say get the job, but really they would say he won the job. Although it would be to me, Tom Herman will look at it and go, well, that's my quarterback. Because you look at 
the guy that he had when he was at Houston, he had Greg Ward Jr. And Greg Ward Jr., kind of the same tools that Zaire has. It's not just the arm, but they can get it done with their legs as well. And, I mean, you look at his time at Ohio State as well, just looking at the last year at the Ohio State, who were the top two quarterbacks that he had that year? JT Barrett and Cardell Jones, two guys that it wasn't just their arms. They could do it with their legs as well as JT Barrett had not only 2,834 passing yards, but he also had almost 1,000 yards on the ground going 938 in that season. So if I'm Tom Herman, now it becomes clear of there might have been a reason when we talked a little while ago earlier this offseason when we said, you know what, is Shane Bouchelle, should he be the starter? Back then I was saying, well, for sure, because I was looking at who was on the roster. I wasn't thinking about who could potentially join. And when you're the head football coach, I'm assuming during this kind of pseudo-recruitment for Malik Zaire, because even though he's graduated from Notre Dame, he still has that year of eligibility left. If Tom Herman knew that, hey, there's a possibility we can get Malik Zaire, to me it kind of makes those comments where he said, well, whoa, whoa, like you said, whoa, I'm not going to name a starter yet. Now it becomes clear why he said that, why he's not ready to just throw Bouchelle in as the starter for the Longhorns. And I think that that's... It's probably a a good thing um, for him uh, not to not to want to do that. I, I I understand why he I understand why he did that. I I like Shane Bouchelle last year. I mm-hmm. think that you know you you still have him uh, you you still have him around for three more years possibly, you know possibly if he stays if he stays every single year. But also Tom Herman he's he's known. He's been known to work with these these quarterbacks who you mentioned him, JT Barrett and Greg Ward Jr. Mm-hmm. These guys aren't just sit in the pocket passers. They they don't do that, and neither is Malik Zaire. And I think that uh, when you when you look a little bit more at Zaire and what he can do, and yes, he's had um, he he really his entire time at Notre Dame has been up and down. He's had injuries. He's not been the full starter. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the good question, the good question that SB Nation Texas mm-hmm. poses at the end of one of their articles is, does Zaire want to compete or does Zaire want to start? And that is an awesome question, a question that he needs to be asking himself. Because, again, if he wants to start, if he wants to be the unquestioned starter, Wisconsin or Harvard, mm-hmm. and, and I'm going based on the schools that uh, are being reported that he yeah. uh, will be go- would be going to that mm-hmm. are in the running: Texas, Wisconsin, and Harvard. And now, if you want to compete and have the still opportunity to start, Texas is your spot. And I think that Tom Herman will probably give a really hard run at Malik Zaire. It only makes sense based on the comments he made about Bouchelle and the past quarterback history that he's had. Mm-hmm. And if he has the opportunity, even if it's a year, even if it's a year for him to be able to really turn Texas around, I think that's another thing, is that Texas has been 
just mired kind of in, in this ever since Mac Brown. Yeah, it's 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 been mired in this com- complacency, this very average average mm-hmm. play. And if he has an opportunity to in his first year, every every coach, everybody in their first year wants to make some impact. Mm-hmm. And well, he, he only has that one. And if he has the opportunity to do that in his year one mm-hmm. with a guy in his final year. I don't think that's a bad thing to do. I don't think that's a bad move to make because if you can get the Texas Texas pride, you know, excited again about their Texas Longhorns mm-hmm. in year 1 of your regime, get them on board to buy in again as Texas Longhorn fans, that's a good thing. Well, and I mean, I even look at it like ever since the the last few coaches and when I said the he only had one, I thought you were talking about Zaire. Right after I said that, I thought, oh, well, he's talking about Tom Herman. So I just wanted to clear that up. And with the other coaches before, Charlie Strong, it's kind of been, it was like, eh, Texas. You had some high hopes. Like last year, they have that big game, that big win over Notre Dame. You think, fuck, Texas might be for real. And then they show their true colors. Even with Mac Brown, it was throughout Mac Brown's career, pristine coach brought them to a national title game, although they lost to Alabama. And ever since he became the coach in 1998, they had gone to a bowl game until 2010. And it was after that national championship loss in 09, where it was like five and seven, then eight wins, nine wins, eight wins that like, yeah, we're, we're going to be in a bowl game, but you're finishing like third and second in the um, big 12 and no longer fighting for those conference titles, those division titles, like you were before, like you were before that national championship. So even from, I'd say, 2010 all the way until now, Texas football has kind of been like, eh, they're there. They're kind of there. I mean, the Mac Brown days were a little bit better than Charlie Strong, but Tom Herman has an opportunity to put Texas back on the map. And the one question I want to ask you before I make this point, when you say, does he want to start or does he want to compete with the compete part? Do you mean compete for the job or compete like for a national title? Compete for the job. Okay. Because I was thinking either way, you look at Wisconsin right now, who's their, who's their guy that's probably going to win the job in the offseason? A guy that was very consistent, inconsistent last year, Hornybrook. I would say, Alex Hornibrook. He walks in, he could easily win the job from Alex Hornibrook. He goes into Texas, he'll have a little bit of trouble because, like we've said, Shane Bouchelle had a better year last year than a Hornibrook. But also on the other side, I look at it from the point of, do you want to just start or do you want to actually compete for things? And if he becomes a starter at a Wisconsin, I don't think they make much of a ripple. If anything they might win their side in the West. They might win the West, and then whoever they go up against, Michigan, Penn State, or even um, Ohio State, they'll just lose to them in the Big Ten title game. So that's, I don't think Wisconsin would be a good place for him to compete. If he goes to Texas, though, Texas could be in a prime position to compete for, I'm not even going to throw out the playoff because I think it would be, a little bit ludicrous at this point to put a Big 12 team in there, although I know Oklahoma 
was in the running last year and went to the playoff two years ago. I just don't think that the Big 12 is going to be strong enough this year to get to the college football playoff again. But if he goes to Texas and wins that job, because obviously he'd have to compete for it, with him at quarterback and with him in a Tom Herman system, that could be a big thing to where he might be able to help Texas win the Big 12. Okay, now that's a little uh, out there, Mm -hmm. I I think, because uh, Malik Zaire is not as good as a Mason Rudolph, and he is not as good as a Baker Mayfield. Let's get that straight. Um, And because of that, they will not win the Big 12. Uh, I think that could he have them in a top three, mm-hmm. a top four to compete with West Virginia for that spot? I, I think so. I think he could probably do that. But I, I think that as long as you have Mason Rudolph in those pieces, Baker Mayfield in his pieces, you know, of course, they've lost some guys along the way, even from this past year. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that. Still, those two guys at quarterback, they're so dangerous by themselves. You give them talent at wide receiver, it makes them that much better. Mm-hmm. I think it's really hard to, for me at least, to be able to then say that even with Malik Zaire, that he could be the one to push them over the the, the, the hump for number one in that Big 12. I, I don't see that. But I think another thing, too, that we're you know, overlooking a little bit is the fact that Texas, as much as we have said Tom Herman really likes this style of quarterback and stuff like that, but look at what Shane Bouchelle did last year. Mm-hmm. Look at the records he broke. I mean, he true freshman, true freshman. And I think that this kid, and I've said it in, in, in a number of podcasts, he has so much growth potential. He really does. And I don't think that you're at a loss if you go, if you end up, oh, well, we didn't get Zaire. Well, we have Shane Bouchelle. The good, good. You have Shane Bouchelle. That's really good. He's got a lot of room to be able to grow. So I don't want to be able to, I don't want to push that off like a uh, Shane Bouchelle, you know, you can get Malik Zaire and he's so much better than Bouchelle. I think that when you look at it, it's, it's it's Tom Herman might be able to do a little bit more with Malik Zaire because Zaire already comes with another aspect of his game, mm-hmm. whereas Bouchelle just, just doesn't have that. He's more that pocket passer. Um, will run a little bit, but not a lot. And I, I think that, honestly, either way, if Texas gets Zaire, does not get Zaire, they still have a chance to uh, be one of the better teams in the Big 12 this year because they have, I think, a better overall coach Charlie Strong just got a short end of the stick. He really did. Mm-hmm. Not a bad coach. Well, not the right coach for that that team. And that's the and one I thing. Th- I think that Tom Herman is a better coach for that team. And I think maybe more people can rally around him. But I don't think it's a loss if Texas would miss out or lose out, let's say, on the Malik Zaire sweepstakes, we'll call it. Well, and the one thing I did want to throw in there was the thing that I was thinking about is and this just goes with the because obviously you are correct. Baker Mayfield, Mason Rudolph, they are to me a lot better than both Zaire and Bouchelle right now. Bouchelle, like you said, has that potential. I don't want to take that almost three thousand yards he had last year and kind of push it to the side and say it was nothing. But the thing that I look at is those are two quarterbacks that there's a reason why those two, along with Luke Falk, who we're going to talk about later in the podcast, there's a reason why those two guys are in my running for fifth best quarterback entering the season when we get to like NFL draft prospects and talks like that. But 
one thing that just hit my head, and I want to ask you what you think about this, because maybe I'm drawing a comparison here from something that it is totally just its own separate thing, and we don't even have to look at it, but it just popped into my head. Who is another Notre Dame quarterback that transferred somewhere after they had a big quarterback? Well, they had a big quarterback leave. He went to the NFL draft, and he split time with a, I'll give you a hint, Sean McGuire was the quarterback he split time with. Do you remember what quarterback? It was the first primetime podcast we ever had. We talked about Everett him. Golson. Everett Golson. Is this a case where this is like Everett Golson, where Malik Zaire, we're talking about where will he go? Is Texas the right fit? And then he goes somewhere and it's like, well, the guy that they have is the right guy. And he's the one that ends up either being the guy or it kind of is like, a, oh, well, Bouchelle and... Uh, Zaire split time, and neither of them were the starting quarterback, or the true starting quarterback. We won't. I. I. I don't think that we'll know if until it happens. Until the season. I, I don't think we'll, we'll. We'll know until it happens, and we can look. I mean, but but look at what happened with Everett Golson too, mm-hmm. though. Is that he struggled? He got hurt. It wasn't it wasn't a real good run for him mm-hmm. um, with his with his new squad, and, and I, I mean I I don't think that. Um, you know, I don't think things happen the same way with with Everett Golson. He was more of the starter. He was the the kind of the the stud for a little bit there at, and then at, at Notre Dame. Whereas, I don't know. I just would not. I would not. And you can say if you think I'm right or wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that I don't think that when I think Malik Zaire at Notre Dame, I, I don't think man he left a huge mark. Man, he did really well because I think there was it, a it, lot it, of potential with Malik Zaire at Notre Dame. But Brian Kelly couldn't tap into that potential, and, and then really he, it goes into is Brian Kelly a good coach, but which is a then, conversation for another time. But then he went with Deshaun Kaiser. Mm-hmm. Like if you think of Deshaun Kaiser, I don't necessarily say, "Oh my gosh, he was an absolute staple at Notre Dame." No, mm-hmm. a staple at Notre Dame—that's a Brady Quinn. Yeah, but uh, Deshaun Kaiser. I mean, you can still think, "Oh, well, he almost got them to the to the playoff mm-hmm. when they they lost to Stanford if they would have beat Stanford a couple of years ago I think they would have been in mm-hmm. they were real close just about sniffed it out did not but I think that that's more who I would think of I, I think of Malik Zaire as the guy who like you said had potential but he got hurt and never fully made that recovery not even health not even talking health wise mm-hmm. but that recovery to get back to be the number one guy at Notre Dame and maybe that's why he picks the place where he can be that number one guy for his final season. And I mean, a what if kind of situation to look at, and this is kind of just something I want to mention is, man, if Malik Zaire never gets injured, is it his name that the Browns are calling in the NFL draft and not Deshaun Kaiser? Because then if he doesn't get injured, Brian Kelly might not go with Deshaun Kaiser because of the injury. Like I said, just popped into my head. Don't need to go into it, but... The last thing I kind of want to bring up to kind of bring this full circle is the thing I think that will benefit both players at hand. Zaire, if he chooses Texas, because right now he hasn't, but we're assuming that he is. Because right now they're, according to Arwar Richardson, or Anwar Richardson, pardon me, there's two teams, one's Texas, one is unknown, because Zaire's kind of playing it close to the chest. If he chooses Texas, he will have a prime opportunity to work with a coach 
who he can fit in his system in Tom Herman. However, on the other side of it, Shane Bouchelle also has that same opportunity. So to me, the way I'm looking at it is no matter who Tom Herman picks, whoever wins the job, either Bouchelle or Zaire, if he chooses to become a Longhorn, whoever of them is the starting quarterback this upcoming season for Texas, I think it's going to be fine because I think that both can have their potential tapped into by a Tom Herman. Why? Because he's a good head coach, because he's a successful head coach, and he's a head coach I would want running my football team. And if Zaire goes to Texas, I think he's going to do so well. I'm not saying like amazingly, like he's not going to win a national championship, but he's going to do so well that people kind of turn their heads and look at Brian Kelly and go, really? Really? I, I know he got injured, but you, you couldn't get that out of him? What, what are we paying you for? That's what I think this could be. Well, I think, uh, you know, all we have to do is wait wait and see. And I think sometimes when guys finally have that opportunity, it's it, it's, it's, it's put it all on the line or you're not putting it out there mm-hmm. uh, type deal. Sometimes they really thrive in, in, that, in that final moment when this is give it all you have left because mm-hmm. this could be it. That's when some guys do thrive, and that's when you kind of see which ones are the, which ones are the game game changers. And uh, I think Malik Zaire could be one, but we don't know because we really haven't seen yet. And one of the last points I will say before I throw it on to them is Everett Golson, who we did mention, was on that 2012 team that uh, lost the national title to Roll Tide Alabama. So he was on that team, was able to experience that kind of uh, Lucky decimating loss. But this is where we turn it on to you guys. What do you guys think, Malik Zaire, is he a right fit or is he the right fit for Texas? And if he does choose the Longhorns, who do you think is going to win the job? Shane Bouchelle, Malik Zaire, who do you think would be a better quarterback this year to work under Tom Herman? Let us know down below in the comments section. But Brandon, we got to move on into our next topic, and we're kind of moving right along into kind of a pseudo-series, a pseudo-off-season series for the Primetime Podcast. Starting about two weeks ago, we touched the NFL Draft for 2018 twice with Rosen and Allen. You guys seemed to love it, so Brandon and I thought, hey, why not talk about more of these prospects that are going to be coming up into this year. Last week, we looked at the running backs and Saquon Barkley and if he could be the best running back in college football this upcoming year. This week, we're going back to the quarterback position a little bit, the position that gets all the fame and all the glory in any football team, pro or college. And the reason why or the thought that I had that I wanted to bring up Luke Falk today was we got a comment on our um, Josh Allen video from Hugh Cunning, and he said, just out of curiosity, where do we have Luke Falk ranked among our next-year quarterbacks? And I kind of answered it in last week's video or a different video, but right now it's you got Falk, you got Baker Mayfield, you got Mason Rudolph. Throw a dart at a board, and that's my number five quarterback coming in to this year. They're all neck and neck for that fifth spot. But, Brandon, I want to ask you to start it off. Is there any way this year in college football, Luke Falk, for the Washington State Cougars, got to throw that out there because A, they're a Pac-12 team, and B, they're a lower-end Pac-12 team, 
Could he be a top five quarterback in the NFL draft after this season? Well, Ricky, you know what my answer to that is going to be. It's, <laughs> That's, I had to I, throw the Pac-12 I won't, out there. Uh, I won't see him. I won't be watching. I'll be asleep. No, I'm kidding. But I, 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 you know what? If you looked at his numbers, if you mm-hmm. looked solely on his numbers and you saw that in 2015 he had over 4,500 yards, 38 touchdowns, 8 interceptions. 2016 he had just under 4,500 yards, 38 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. You'd go, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he'll be the number one guy. Mm-hmm. But then you have to remember that Mason Rudolph is around. Baker Mayfield is around. Guys like that the entire are around. Top four that we've talked about. And Sam Allen, Darnold, Rosen, yeah. uh, McSorley. Mm-hmm. All, all these guys are around. And these guys play um, in some competition uh, that may be a little higher than what Washington State plays. Mm-hmm. Just a little bit higher. Um, they are obviously a power five and everything like that. But Luke Falk has has some tools to be successful. He certainly has some tools to be successful. But as you and I talked right before we came on to do this podcast, mm-hmm. was that you said you watched his his um, his, tape. his tape today. I've looked and 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 read so many articles on this guy it's the fact that he can make some throws Mm -hmm. but he doesn't have the arm accuracy excuse me the arm strength of a mason rudolph of what was it deshaun watson of a patrick mahomes baker mayfield Mm -hmm. guys like that who you know deshaun watson obviously he he went earlier, I think, than expected mm-hmm. in, in in the draft. Yes, Deshaun Watson was of the quarterbacks. He was the um, second one taken. So Mahomes went tenth, and then it was right after him, or two after him, was Deshaun Watson. And I and I guess you you look at that and you see. I mean, his he had very good arm strength, and you know he's number two there at, at quarterback. I I don't know if. How how much does that hurt Luke Falk? The fact that sometimes he's got some lollipops up there that makes it exactly. very easy for defenders to come in mm-hmm. and get an interception or bat it down where he's that's also not only is that going to you know hurt in that sense, but his that kind of really hurts your accuracy as well. If you can't get enough on the ball, you can't be accurate. But let me at the same time let me at the same time be able to say that he does get good touch mm-hmm. on the balls that he throws. Well, and that's the thing I noticed. Like his release is because it's so quick and he it looks like maybe it's a little bit higher, maybe it's cuz he's taller than I am, but it looks like his release he kind of makes up for the arm strength issue and I'm going to call it an issue because as I was watching it the first couple throws that I saw, the first thought that popped into my head was that ball looks like it don't have no zip. It doesn't have any zip at all. It's just like like you throw the ball, and I could be looking at a stopwatch like, has it got there yet? Has the ball got to the receiver yet? And when you don't have that arm strength, it becomes the it hurts the accuracy where I saw a little bit of inconsistencies where there was one tape I watched with, like I told you before we started recording, where it had a lot of, 
of just out routes to the end zone. The post out route corner of the end zone, I'm going to loft it up to you because I'm looking at that and going, okay, there's a lot of these in here. I'm assuming this is his bread and butter. I also saw a lot of red zone clips in that one film because I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, okay, he must be really good in the red zone. But why, if I'm trying to showcase a highlight, not a low light, a highlight film, I'm going to put in, well, that's the ones where they're not the good plays. Yeah, I know. The low light clearly, film. clearly. You don't want any low lights in your highlights. You can't get them, you can't get them confused with each other. But if I'm coming up with a highlight film, I'm putting in the ones that I want you to see. So I'm sitting there going, okay, so because of the arm strength issue, and I'm calling it an issue again, the arm strength issue, of course I'm going to show a lot of red zone plays because you don't have to throw the ball that long. That's 20 yards at least. You got to throw the ball maybe a little little further, maybe about 20, 25, 26 if you're at the 20. But if he can... To me, if he can kind of make up for that a little bit, hit the weight room a little bit, get a little bit more zip on that ball, then he can make up for it. Because there were some passes where it was like, okay, that was underthrown. Okay, that one was overthrown. It's you're looking at two. You're looking at a a Goldilocks situation when I was watching his throws. Some were just right. Some were too much because he's overcompensating for not having that arm strength. And then some were just underthrown because he's just not thinking about it and just throwing it, and it becomes a little underthrown. If he can learn to fix that and make the accuracy become a little bit more consistent, then he can jump up into my top five. But right now, the main thing that is keeping him in my top five is solely the touch and solely the release and also his presence as well in the pocket because when I'm looking for an NFL quarterback I want someone who's not going to get who a is not going to get rattled in the pocket especially when pressure is presented to him and I want a guy that can make reads out on the field and I feel fairly confident in Falk in those two aspects so that's the two that are keeping him in my top five, but it's really that arm strength. And then along with this decision-making, that is why he might be out of my top five. I think that um, the thing for me, and one of the things that I want to get back to is mm-hmm. is, is just kind of the fact that, you know, it, this could then lead to interceptions. And some people would exactly. be saying, Brandon, in 25 games, though, that he played, he only threw 26 interceptions. Well, but we, think about but NFL we, we, yeah, we, we aren't talking college anymore. Mm-hmm. We're, we're talking guys in the NFL who will feast on that. There were so many throws where I'm like, NFL corner would have jumped that route. NFL corner would have jumped that route. But take, but take, I mean, take even a look at Carson Wentz. Mm-hmm. His first half of the season, boom. I mean, guys hadn't seen him. They weren't sure what he was going to do. Then they got Second that half of the season. It was like he was having three interceptions. Mm-hmm. It's three interception games like it was nobody's business. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's an interesting that, – that's just an interesting point. If he can just get a little bit more oomph on his throws, then I think that we can be really talking about a guy who can be really special because he can certainly – he can certainly find his guys. He can certainly make the reads. I think that's just uh, an interesting point to bring up. And then another thing, too. He stands at 6'4", 216. He's a small guy. 
for a quarterback at 6'4". So if he could bulk up I mean, a little he's, he's bit not too. Russell, he's not Russell Wilson. But can you, but can you, you know, as a quarterback, then withstand, withstand those hits for 16 games? Mm-hmm. And he hasn't had the any any injury problems in the past that I've known of. Mm-hmm. But I think that NFL, it's a whole new ball game. And you want a guy who can who can be ready to go um, and immune to injury for for sixteen games. You know that's the I- ideal situation. Another thing, though, too, with his decision making, he's got one interception per sixty seven pass attempts. That's where he's at in college. So the the guy is not far off. He's not far off from being, I think, a really really good quarterback. So I, I think that that's. Uh, something that is uh, something to watch. And the one thing I'll say, and this is um, for the quarterbacks in the NFL this year, that 6-4 doesn't really... I look at that and I go, okay, that doesn't kind of scare me because obviously he's not as big as a Brock Osweiler who is 6-8, but he's not a Russell Wilson or a Drew Brees or a Six foot five eleven. The average height for a quarterback out of all the starters this year is actually around six four. So I look at that and go, perfect. He's fine. Really, as long as you can see over the defensive line, I'm fine there. Plus, with his presence and his being able to read, the thing I think most with Falk is going to be where does he go, and depending how he does this season, is going to play into that because. If he has good games like last year when they beat UCLA, they hold them off to win 27 to 21. I mean, I know in that game he didn't play well, but if he comes back and that one could be totally different because Rosen could be on the other side. He was out for that one. If Rosen's in that game, he goes up against Rosen as a better game, beats Rosen, that'll up his hype. Another thing that'll up his hype is he's, he's, if he's able to go into Washington and beat them, because I want to say that that game against Washington would be in Washington this time, not Washington State. Jake Browning, he's going to be a star quarterback this year, and they beat Washington State 45-17 to last year in their route to the Pac-12 title and the college football playoff. There, I think he's a quarterback that could get hyped up when we get to the NFL draft, and if he does, there's a kind of a maybe option where I think this is going to be the year where, and of course things may change throughout the season, but right now as I sit here on May 24th as we record this podcast, Brandon, I have the thought in my head that this could be the one of the years where we see the most or close to the most quarterbacks taken in the first round or even in the first two rounds. There's going to be a ton of them that go just because of the type of talent that we could have coming out for this year's NFL draft. And I think that if he gets overhyped and goes to a team that needs him to start either day one or if it's a team like Cleveland, I'm going to say this year, like if he's a... If he's a Deshaun Kaiser this year, Kaiser goes to the Browns, yeah, you're assuming Cody Kessler will get that job, but there's a chance that Kaiser could be thrown in to the Flames. If Folk is in that situation, I think he fails. 
But if he goes to a situation like Mahomes is going into, where there's no way he's going to start this year unless an injury happens to Alex Smith, it's that situation where I think Falk can thrive because he needs to have a solid year this year, then get drafted, hope that a team with a good situation picks him up so that he could be, and I'm not saying he's going to project this way. I'm just saying the situation coming out is going to be similar. I'm going to say kind of like an Aaron Rodgers where you get drafted by a team and you can just sit there and develop for a year, two years before you're expected to start in the NFL. So I've got a question for you, Ricky. Um, And that is, are you surprised that he came back this year? I'm not surprised. And the reason why I'm not is because I look at Falk and I think if he would have came out this year, he would not have been put into a positive situation because you add another quarterback into the situation of this year. We were already saying that, like, my big thought was that, oh, in the second round, we're going to have a run of quarterbacks. Well, if he's there, do... The Bears in the early second, do they trade that second? Do they take that pick and take a Falk? We don't know if there's a team like a Chargers or a Browns that go ahead and take him. And I think that if he came out this year, he would be, I would assume he'd be in a poorer situation because there wasn't going to be a team like the Chiefs. The only way the Chiefs took a quarterback was because they really liked Mahomes and thought we got to trade up to get him. All of the other teams that had good quarterback situations weren't going to look at Falk from where he would be. I would put him as a second, maybe third if he fell, if he came out this year. Maybe even a first. Maybe someone would have reached on him and tried to trade up in. But I'm glad that he came back. And the reason is, is because he doesn't have that arm strength, I think he can go and develop more this year in college where I I feel like it's easier to – and I don't feel this way. It is this way, I feel like. It's easier to screw up in college and bounce back from it than it is to screw up in the NFL. Because if you're screwing up in the NFL, then we get this kind of thought of like there's no hope for you. There is no hope for you. You're playing against the – best talent in the world and you're not cutting it so you know what there's no hope in college you sit there and go well hey I can draft this guy and maybe I can bring out his potential and there's going to be a team that falls in love with him Luke Falk is that prospect where I feel like there's going to be one management one coach that falls in love with him because of he's got the average height He's got the touch and the release, and he can also has that. The big one to me is that pocket presence. That's something you can't teach. Getting blitzes thrown at you and simply just stepping to the right or stepping to the left or the way he, oh, I'm sensing the blitz. I'm going to roll out and throw on the run. You can't teach that. That's something to me you either have or you don't have. It's kind of like being a performer. If you're going to go up on stage and get nervous, then guess what, honey? Singing ain't for you. If you're going to go out there and you're calm, cool, collect on that stage, no matter how many eyes are pointing at you, 
then you're okay. And I think he's good in that department. To me, the only thing he, the big thing he has to overcome is that arm strength. And is it possible? Yeah, it's possible. Not every quarterback in the NFL is, I'm going to throw out a name because he's the first strong arm quarterback that pops into my head. Not everyone's a Jay Cutler where you go into Madden and you look him up and the personality trait says, boom, strong arm quarterback. Not everyone is like that. So he can't overcome that. I just think he needs to work this year, show some flashes this year, and then it also depends on who falls in love with him and if he gets the right situation. Because if he goes to a team like maybe a Pittsburgh, maybe a Green Bay, maybe a, and I'm just throwing out teams that have established quarterbacks, maybe even a Chargers, because Phillip Rivers is at the end of it. I would say Steelers and Chargers are top two I'm thinking about just because their quarterback situation for the future is a big old question mark. I mean, Big Ben has said he's going to take it year by year at this point in his career. If he lands in a right situation where he can sit for a few years, like two, three, and then come in and start, then he will be, to me, a. Um, I can see him being a solid starter in the NFL. I think that, you know, again, I like I said, I think that there's a couple of guys that are in front of him, but I don't see why Luke Falk mm-hmm. wouldn't be able to get there. Right now, if, if he is a great 2017, and I'm talking like the best 2017 season he could possibly have, the best he can be in my mind coming into the draft is fifth on my quarterback rankings and end of the first round, just because I don't think he's going to surpass a, I'm going to say Darnold, Allen, and Jackson. Rosen, I'll say he might be able to surpass, but I think that only if that happens, then a Baker Mayfield or a Rudolph might jump up ahead of me to take that spot. I'm not quite sure if Luke Falk will be my fourth best quarterback heading into the NFL draft. But before I kick it off to them to let us let them tell us what they think, do you have any final thoughts on Luke Falk? When it comes to him and his top five quarterbackness, I'll say, coming into the draft. I'm set. I'm good. Well, this is where we turn it on to you guys. Let us know down below in the comment section. What do you guys think? Could Luke Falk be a top five quarterback? What do you like about him coming into the season? What do you don't like about him coming into the season? And what is one thing he's going to have to do this year if he wants to be a top five quarterback in the 2018 NFL Draft. But Brandon, we got to move on into our final topic of the podcast. And I'm going to be completely honest. The One of the main reasons why I decided to throw this in there is, one, it's kind of a shocker to me that this is happening. And two, I got to get the Brandon hot takes when it comes to Alabama Crimson Tide news whenever we can throw it in there. And for those of you who maybe have not heard, I will let you in. Four-star 2018 recruit Damian Pierce, who's a running back, officially had reopened his commitment, or his recruitment, I should say, this week, basically backing off his commitment with the Alabama Crimson Tide. And right now, for the 2018 class, Alabama has two commitments. They are outside of the twenty top 25, I believe, on ESPN or Rivals. They are 54th. In the nation, the first time I believe they've been out of the top 25 at this point under Nick Saban. Brandon, I'm not going to beat the bush. I'm going to be straightforward with you. 
Should we be worried about Alabama and their 2018 recruiting class? Uh, see, right now, I, I think that they're, most people would look at this as cause for concern. They only have two commits, and they would think Alabama, you know, even even at this time, this is odd for you guys not to have it because for Alabama, um, the, the higher-ranked, uh, more sought-after prospects are going um, to be committing later on. And I think that for them to have only two right now, when you have Miami, who has 17 total, uh, Ohio State has 10, LSU has 16, Penn State 13. Um, at this time last year, Alabama had nine, mm-hmm. and it had eight in 2016 and 16 and 15. Um, I think that one of the th- possibilities, and, and this is just a speculation, but the fact that there has been so much turnover in the coaching staff so Lane Kiffin's gone. Steve Sarkeesian's gone. Mm-hmm. Offensive line coach uh, Mario uh, Cristobal is gone. Um, and then Billy Napier is gone as well, wide receivers coach. As long as Nick Saban is still at the helm, is still the head coach, and is still the guy who wins all the time, people are going to want to go to Alabama. But when you see all these coaches leaving, I think that that also – may be something where some guys would look at that and go, all right, well, you know, they were there for a while. Those coaches were. They were kind of solid for a while with them. Now, does that mean it's starting over for the Crimson Tide? Mm -hmm. And if that's what that means, maybe I go somewhere else where things are a little bit more, let's say, put together, quote-unquote put together. And now that could get interesting. Um, so I don't necessarily know if this is a bad thing for Alabama or if this is a real negative, um, but I certainly think it is not normal for them to only have two at this time. But what I say, it's cause for concern, not yet. If it gets to be later on and they've got four, they've got five total, then I think we could go, hmm. This doesn't look good. And what you were thinking is exactly what I was thinking. The main thing I thought of was, huh, I wonder who, like, recruit, like, who was actually helping recruit Pierce? Pierce, any of the other ones that haven't committed, there's only, there's got to be a reason they only have two. And I thought of the same thing you did. If I'm a commit or a recruit thinking about it, Hell, if I'm even an offensive person, I'm going, okay, the offensive coordinator just left to go to Florida Atlantic. The guy that you brought in who, I mean, you brought in who didn't help you win a national title because for some reasons, I'm not even going to put a reason out there, but Sarkeesian comes in to kind of be the pseudo-offensive coordinator for that game. Not saying they lost because of him, but if I'm a recruiter, I'm going, huh, you didn't win that game, and now he's gone. He's in the NFL. Why am I going there? And I wonder if Nick Saban is, and I, I can't believe I'm going to say this, Brandon, but I am. Is he a big enough name right now to get recruits early on? And, I mean, this could totally come back to bite me in the butt because, A, people are going to say you're ludicrous. Nick Saban is one of the hierarchies in coaching that he is. But I'm looking at not just how he treats his system because him, Belichick, I put I'm thinking like the the original coaching trees. Like 
I'm thinking more NFL too, like Lombardi, um, Bill Belichick, Bill Parcells, Nick Saban. They come from the coaching tree of it's all about the team, not the player. And I'm looking at players right now, and we're looking at I'm looking at sports overall, and more so we are having a shift from it just being about the team and who cares about your name on the back of your jersey. It is all about that name on the front of the jersey to where now players are getting their own, and this is in the pros, getting their own shoe deals, getting their own endorsements where I'm going to use Odell Beckham as an example. Nike is now paying him for his shoe, and he is making more money from Nike than he is for playing for the Giants. That's where we're at. And I know that you're saying, well, Ricky, college kids don't get paid. Why are you bringing this up? Because if I'm a high school recruit and I'm good enough to commit to Alabama, let's be honest, I'm good enough to commit anywhere in D1 football. And if I'm good enough to commit anywhere in D1 football, one of my main goals is I'm not just thinking about college. I'm thinking about getting to the three-letter word or the three-letter acronym NFL. That is what I'm thinking about. And if I'm looking at Nick Saban and his program, I'm going, okay, he wins football games, but I need some consistency in the coaching staff. That's not there. And if really, if 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 Lane Kiffin couldn't deal with this guy and Nick Saban got on his nerves, who's to say that this guy's not going to get on my nerves? Because I'm looking at it, and if, if Lane Kiffin got bugged by Nick Saban, you don't think an 18-year-old, 19-year-old kid is not going to get bugged by Nick Saban as well? I think that the kid would get bugged easier than the adult. I think that... You know, sometimes the way that uh, people can be is different. Like Nick Saban could mm-hmm. be different with his players than he is with his coaching staff. That's not necessarily true, though. I mean, I don't know. I don't have the insight on that. But uh, Nick Saban and I think Lane Kiffin did not get along with each other for quite some time. Now, let's not put this all on Saban. Let's remember mm-hmm. here that Lane, Lane Kiffin has not been the easiest guy to work with wherever he's been. Not the most mature of adults. That's why I was saying I kid an adult, but asterisks because it's Lane Kiffin. So I, I think that <laughs> I think, you know, but then again, I mean, I think we've kind of seen mm-hmm. Nick Saban, too, is that he's not. He's, he's he very much seems like a guy who my way or the highway mm-hmm. and uh Lane Kiffin also kind of seems like the same way and those two personalities then will butt heads because it's the same one um but I think that that doesn't when you, when you see all those coaches leave and and the turnover there there's no consistency in the staff but you can't necessarily say that because Lane Kiffin was there for a mm-hmm. couple of years. It's not like he was there for a little bit, a little bit and left, I'm or a saying, year and left. I think that Nick Saban he gets winners, mm-hmm. he finds winners. That's what he does. But but let's see. You made a comment earlier. Who was recruiting these guys? Was it Saban? Or was it Kiffin? Mm-hmm. Or was it Sarkeesian? Probably not Sarkeesian. He didn't have enough time there, really. But Or was it, you know, was it the offensive line coach? Was it the wide receiver coach? Mm-hmm. Who was on those visits? Was was uh, was Nick Saban on every one of them? 
Did he go to every single one of them? Or did he have Kiffin go out there? Did he have mm-hmm. his members of his staff go out there? And then you commit to them. And then your 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 point of contact is that and person, I mean, and then they leave, and now it's like, okay, what am I doing? The one, That's the interesting part. But Ricky, if you want to win mm-hmm. and you want to be able to make a name you're for yourself say, in go college to football, but why not? Why would you not? <laughs> what have they done that has made you think that they're not going to win? No, they're kind of you Nothing. look at it, they're kind e- of even like if you the change Kentucky. your staff. Doesn't mean you're not going to win. Like what John Calipari does for his players in basketball. Alabama does the same thing for players in football. They have a ton of players that get drafted each year. And I did look on 247sports.com, and they had it where Derek Ansley, the defensive backs coach, he was the primary recruiter of of Pierce. So really you have the defensive back coach was the prime um, recruiter, and then the the associate head coach and running backs coach uh, Burton Burns was the secondary. Both of those are still on. But, and the thing I say was when I said, but there's that lack of consistency, I'm not speaking from an analytical side. I'm not speaking from our side because we've sat here and go, well, yeah, Lane Kiffin has been there for the last four years. But I'm speaking of it from the sense of a kid coming out of high school. And some kids might look at it and go, there, there are some right now that haven't committed, and I'm, I bet you there's a few of them that are going. You know what? Notre or not Notre Dame, Alabama is my number one choice. I can wait. I don't have to make my decision yet. I'm gonna wait and see how things play out. I bet you there's a handful of those players saying, you know what? I'm just gonna sit back. I'm gonna see how everything plays out. I'm gonna let all the dust settle. And then I'll make my decision after I see what happens, after coach contacts me a little bit more and gets on the recruiting trail a little bit. However, there might be some recruits, and Pierce is obviously could be one of them because he decommitted, where who knows? He could have came in because first off I look at it and Ansley, I mean, yeah, you get that attachment with the primary recruiter, but he's the defensive back coach. You're looking at it and going, yeah, you're selling the program to me, but you're not the guy I'm going to be dealing with day in, day out. Burton a little a little more so because he's the running back coach and will be dealing with Pierce, who would have been a running back for Alabama. But who knows? Maybe Pierce was like, hey, you know what? I like this system. I want to go play in a Lane Kiffin offense. Lane Kiffin leaves and it goes, whoa, whoa, everything changes. And... Sometimes it's really hard being 18 thinking, okay, I got three years, three years until I can go pro, unless you're at a smaller school, then pros aren't on your mind. But like I said, if you're going to Alabama, odds are you either think it in your head or you know it in your head that you have the talent to possibly go pro to the NFL. And if I'm sitting there 18, Pierce could have been sitting there going, hey, you know what? I don't want to be playing my three years of college ball, maybe even one of them, getting used to a new offensive coordinator, getting used to an offensive system. Let's be honest. He would have came in, and he wouldn't have even, the way Alabama does things, unless there were no running backs, where we know that to be false. There's always running backs at Alabama. It's like 
Yeldon graduates. Here's Bo Scarborough. Oh, who was there before Yeldon? It was Eddie Lacy. Oh, Mark Ingram. Running back you is kind of what I want to call them, but they also have a good defense every single year. So it's kind of like they do everything well you, except for the quarterback, except for Jalen Hurts, who kind of went against that mold a little bit last year. I just look at it and I see Pierce and I go, maybe it was something of how do I want to spend? I know that I have one year of high school and 18 and then I come out. I'm going to be with them for three years. I don't, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to deal with any of this. I'll go somewhere else and to each his own, but there's could be players like Pierce that are like that, but there are, I bet you a handful of students that are like, you know what? I don't have to make my decision right now. I'll make it at a later time, and I'll see what happens with Alabama. Ricky, my final comment, my final thought on this Alabama mm-hmm. segment, it's the Crimson Tide have not finished. They have not finished with a recruiting class ranked lower than number two since 2009. Mm-hmm. And in that time, um, the last four recruiting classes, they've landed 76 of the ESPN 300 prospects over the past four recruiting classes. And they've been able to build up such a team because of it. And I think that obviously people are getting a little worried and concerned because, oh my gosh, well, if they don't have all these top recruits within this recruiting class, they are not going to be good. A down year can happen. But I think because we see it as Alabama, Mm -hmm. down years don't exist. I think that I'm going to wait and see. I'm going to, if I had to put my money on it and he held a gun to my head, I'll say they'll be fine. They'll be in the top 25, maybe even in the top 10 when it's all said and done. Because just looking at the top 10 recruits for 2018, there are four of them that have made their commitments. Quarterback Trevor Lawrence chose Clemson, number one. Number two, Xavier Thomas, defensive end, has chose Clemson. Then you have um, Galate, the inside linebacker, number six, chose South Carol or Southern Cal, and then Vincent, the defensive tackle from Florida, chose Ohio State. They're the only ones to make their decision. So we have a ton of players in the top 10, even in the top 20, that have not made decisions. So there are players at the top, but my final thought is just, hey, some of these players are probably just sitting there saying, hey, I'm going to sit back, I'm going to see what happens when the dust clears from all this, and then I'll see if it affects my decision or not. But before we close up the podcast, like we do every week, Brandon, last week's uh last week's Brandon Swanee's final thoughts got a little bit heated in the comment section. You think so? A little bit. Just oh. a little bit. But for this week, what are Swanee's final thoughts? Well, I'm going to get away from the NBA a little bit. I've uh, dogged on them for <laughs> enough for enough weeks. But uh, one of the things that I wanted to bring up, Ricky, and it's about it's about your team. Chicago Cubs are 23 and 21. They okay. currently sit third, third in the NL Central, mm-hmm. a game back. But the Chicago Cubs, let's be honest, they've not <laughs> been, been good. good. They have not been good. They're, when you look at their starting pitching, Jake Arrieta has the most wins with five. Mm-hmm. John Lester has the best ERA with a little over three. Wade Davis has been great as a closer. He has nine, nine saves and an ERA of zero. Kyle Schwarber, he's not hitting his weight. Anthony Rizzo, batting 224. Chris Bryant, their best hitter, I think he's got 10 home runs and a 298 average. Is there something wrong with the Chicago Cubs? 
Are they going to get back to what they were last year or close to it? Are they having a World Series hangover? Or is this what we're getting for this season with Chicago Cubs? And Ricky, I want to bring you into this final thought because okay. it's it's about your team. But mm-hmm. I think we're not seeing their, your pick to win the World Series this year as well. Uh, they won it last year, but you know why not say that they'll win it two years in a row? That was your thinking. Um, they haven't. I mean, you can't imagine that they've hit their it what they're going to be for this season. This is not what they're going to be all season. No, it's but, not. But tell me, you're a Cub fan, short and sweet. Your thoughts on the Cubs? I got two thoughts. Number one on the on the Schwarber part of it, it could be coming back from the injury and not just getting used to playing a full season, but let's be honest. If Dexter Fowler didn't leave, Schwarber wouldn't be batting leadoff. Dexter Fowler would. So not having that pure leadoff guy there obviously hurts a little bit. But my big second point, and this goes for all Cub fans everywhere, last year was an anomal- anomaly. I almost said anomaly. It's an anomaly. And what I say that is how fast we started, how great we started. You know who's having a year like that right now? The Houston Astros. Yeah. Good. Let them have it. You know who we're having a year right now? And honestly, to the day of of May 24th, the team that we beat in the World Series, the Cleveland Indians, guess what their record was on May 24th, 2016? Don't tell me. 23 and 21. 24 and 20. They were one game better than we are. So to quote a guy that... Probably a lot of people in Chicago hate. Relax. Relax. It's May. It's May. We're going to get this team is going to click at the right time. I'd rather have us click later on than click now and not be able to sustain it. All right. Thanks, Ricky. And that's where that's where we're going to end this. I, I didn't expect to get pulled into the Swanee's final thoughts. It's nice, but relax, Cubs fans. It's going to be okay. But I want to thank you guys for watching and listening to the Primetime Podcast today. Let us know what you thought about anything that we talked about down below in the comment section. If you're on YouTube, hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. If you're on Blog Talk Radio, go ahead and hit that follow button. Also, check out patreon.com backslash Podcast. Just another way for you guys to help support the channel, help us do great things, and help us make this product great for you guys, our fans, want to thank you guys one last time for watching and listening. And as always, have a good day, everybody. Thank you for listening to this MVP podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Most Valuable Pod for more great podcasts.